Welcome to Rightly Divided. This is episode number seven entitled, Who Will Lead Us Now? Now, my aim in this episode is to encourage men to rise to the challenges that are facing us in our day. We cannot sit by and hope that someone else will take the reins. And to be clear, I think that Christian leadership is lacking vision, clarity, and manliness. We face a spiritual Dunkirk. If you don't know what Dunkirk is, just go Google Dunkirk World War II. Our backs are against the sea, and the enemy is closing in. We need every able-bodied man to rise up and do his part to ensure that we live to fight another day. May God give us the courage to be men. Let's pray. Lord, as always, we stand in need of you. Please use these words to stir the heart of a man who may be listening and inspire him to lead for you. Amen. It is no secret that America is in societal and moral collapse. If this is news to you, then I respectfully believe that you have been sinfully ignorant of our situation over the last 60 years. This collapse is visible from many angles. The angle which I will use for our example is our relationship with women and womanhood. I'd like to give you three points of consideration on this. First, We have removed male leadership from our thought. This phase of denigration is complete at this point. I was recently listening to Carl Truman's book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Now, Mr. Truman is a theologian and writes from a Christian perspective. However, he consistently uses the feminine gender as the neuter gender. This is an error not only in the usage of English, of which Mr. Truman, who is an Englishman, should be and generally is very competent in speaking, but it is also a theological error. God made male and female at the beginning, during creation, and therefore he reserves the right to determine which sex will be in leadership and which will follow. In the garden, God created man first and put him in charge of tending the garden. Then he said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He then created woman out of the man and gave her to the man as his companion and helper. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. God gave the title of man to both male and female humans. The man was created first, and the woman was taken from the man. Therefore, it is the male gender which ought to be the neuter gender according to God. But we have so bought into the modern feminist movement that even in our more biblically flavored writings and among theologians, the feminine is being used as the neuter gender. You may be thinking that this doesn't matter, but I would argue that it does, indeed, since how we think about things will affect how we act. 
and how we act will determine what consequences we must face. True feminism would honor and celebrate womankind as what was once called the fairer sex. Women are simply more beautiful than men. They are more emotionally astute than men. They are more morally sensitive than men. And God created them to do a job that men cannot do, namely be mothers and wives. So to corrupt the dignity and honor of womanhood by making it equal with manhood is akin to putting a Maserati in a muddy rally race. It is a foolish and a blatant abuse. It matters that the male gender is the neuter because it is a recognition of God's created order. Second, because we have removed male leadership from our thought, we have acted by putting women in positions of leadership that they were never meant to be in. Now, I realize that this will not be popular with some people, but it is true and it must be said. We know that from creation, men were the God-ordained leaders. When women were in leadership over men in the Bible, it was a departure from God's design, and it stood as a symbol of God's displeasure and or judgment upon His people. And this still holds true. When a society makes female leadership the norm, the end is not too far away. On November 7, 1916, Jeanette Rankin of Montana became the first woman elected to the United States Congress. Now That was only 105 years ago. Not long at all in the life of a nation. And here we are now at death's door societally. God told Israel in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. God intended for men to lead, not women. When women lead, society is on the brink of destruction. This brings up the last bit of evidence that our society is on the way out. This one we can observe casually as we live in the late great United States, namely, open vulgarity among our women. I'm reading a book right now called Who Didn't See This Coming by a pastor that I know named Jerry Locke. Jerry was born in 1945 and has kept his eyes and ears open to the change taking place in our nation. He doesn't seem to have been caught off guard by the decay of American society, and I personally appreciate that. But in his book, Jerry says, The last stages of a culture that is disintegrating is when females become profane in their language, dishonest in their affairs, and deviant in their sexuality. If this is true, and I believe that it is, then there is a rapping, rapping, tapping at our chamber door, and it is the knocking of the hand of death. Consider the cultural icons of femininity in our times. Cardi B, Billie Eilish, Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, etc. These women are as vulgar as a person can get, and the fact that they are trendsetters and role models is proof of our nation's impending death. If our society were a person, he would be at the stage of life when the family is called in to say the final farewells. Only, as is fitting for our times, those who would have said goodbye should probably not get too close, lest they risk contracting the disease that has taken down the nation, which was once touted as the last great hope. 
COVID-19 is not nearly as contagious as the progressive, godless mindset of our nation is. And so this brings me to the point of our episode today. We are in a time of great need, and men are absent from the fray. There are no Teddy Roosevelt's. There are no Winston Churchill's. Those men and their breed are dead and gone. But more off-putting than the dearth of national leaders is the dearth of church leaders, real pastors of the biblical mold. There are no Charles Spurgeons left. Spurgeon, who once faced down his entire Baptist denomination because they were drifting from the moorings of their Baptist distinctives, is gone. He landed squarely in a position of isolation and a loss of fame, but he stood for truth nonetheless. There are no more William Tyndales, the man who defied the Catholic Church to translate the Bible into English for the common man. There are no more William Careys who will move heaven and earth to take the gospel to those who have not heard and do God's will despite the trends of Christianity around them. These men are all gone, never to return. But might there be some men in whose chests a similar heart beats? I think that we have men who will lead, but they haven't realized that now is their time to lead. They are stuck behind the towering figures of the men who went before them, whose figures no longer are made of flesh and bone, but are mere shadows of what once was. Our men are stuck in a sort of infancy of the mind and spirit that hinders them from speaking their God-given and spirit-led perspectives and from leading their churches and their families. If they would but gird up the loins of their minds and determine that they will not fail their God, they would, I think, be able to find the courage to act, to become that man in the arena whom Teddy Roosevelt spoke of in such lofty terms. They would venture out, risking failure, to grab hold of the joy of victory. But victory in what? Victory in leading their families and churches by faith to live as God intended His followers to live, despite what the culture around us thinks of it or does to us. Men, the time has come to ready ourselves and receive the God-given mantle of leadership. We cannot stand behind the shadows of men we admired in our youth. We are not children any longer. We will give an account to God one day for what we did in this moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we read, The child Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim, that he could not see. Samuel came onto the scene in a time when Israel needed a leader. There was no open vision, which means that God was not speaking to the people as he had in times past. There was no clear direction for the nation. There was no certainty of what should be done or who should do it. Samuel arrived at the tail end of the days of the judges when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And Eli, who had once been a young and faithful leader in God's house, now had eyes that waxed dim. Eli did not know what the people should do. So God called Samuel. Continuing in 1 Samuel 3.3 3, where we left off, 
The Bible says, And before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. God called Samuel just before the light went out. Just before the lamp was snuffed out for good, God called out to a young man, Samuel! And that young man answered. It isn't easy to say, and it hasn't been easy to watch, but there are many dim eyes among the leaders of God's people today. There is clearly a lack of vision for what the people should do in these days when the light seems all but gone out. So I wonder if God isn't calling any men who are willing to answer, Here am I. I don't bring this up to disparage the leaders of the past. I find them to be faithful men who had a vision in their generation to know what they ought to do. But by virtue of the natural life cycle, that vision passes on to the next generation and the next and the next, so that no generation is ever in a permanent position of leading. We've now reached a time when the vision for the past generation has expired. And God is granting a new vision to a new generation of leaders. This vision does not lay aside any of the doctrinal truths that the Bible teaches, but it does take into account that our actions in response to those truths must now change. There is a time to build up forts, and there is a time for the Minutemen. There is a time to stand in rows and fight, and there is a time for guerrilla warfare. Samuel honored God and Eli in his response to God's call upon his life, and so we must honor those who have gone before us, men. But we must prepare ourselves now for what lies ahead. If we prepare our minds to the battle, then when it comes, it will seem but a slight discomfort to us. But if we are caught flat-footed when the nation goes fully to the devil, and our homes are taken away without our knowing they would be, then even those things which truly are but annoyances will seem as insurmountable circumstances and we will crumble. And if we crumble, what will become of our wives, our children, and our brethren? It is time to say, Here am I, Lord. It is time to open wide the eyes of our minds and be prepared to lead as God would have us to lead in our generation. I know that there is a general consensus among men my own age and a little older and younger. God has put in our hearts that we must be less involved in the culture and more committed to godly living. We know the time has come to drop the fire hoses which once were aimed at the burning building of American society and instead pull our loved ones clear of the blaze. Not that we should cease to be salt and light or retreat to monasticism, but that we cannot afford any longer to stand too close to the fire because our own homes will catch the blaze. American TV, pop culture, politics, and education are irreparably scorched. We must pull away from them and be separate, as the Lord always intended us to be. Being separate from the world is a statement of fact, not a thing to be attained if we are truly following Christ. If we are not following Him, then we will be tainted by the dank stench of sin and worldliness. Our forebears knew this, and it is time that we remembered it too. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. 2 Corinthians 6.17 We should also realize that those whom we love and those who led us in our youth may not be around as we lead in our own generation. I pray God that they will be for us as long as possible. Solomon's son Rehoboam learned the danger of listening to his peers' foolish advice rather than the wisdom of his elders. The kingdom of Israel was divided because of it. But I would also note that Rehoboam lacked God's wisdom himself. His ultimate problem was that he was a spoiled palace brat who was more interested in impressing his peers than doing what was wise and best and right. If you are a Rehoboam, stay far away. Go dabble in the world, and when you have had enough of playing with fire and have repented and received the balm of Christ's forgiveness, you will be of use. But we cannot afford your foolishness now. Additionally, Moses' departure as the leader of Israel holds an encouraging word to us. Listen to this. And Moses went and spoke these words unto all Israel. And he said unto them, I am a hundred and twenty years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Meaning he was too old to lead Israel any longer. Also the Lord has said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Deuteronomy 31, 1 and 2. Moses realized his time had come to an end. He was unable to lead Israel any longer for two reasons. He was old, and it wasn't his responsibility any longer before God. God had raised Moses up for the time that he had led, and now he had raised up Joshua to lead in a different way, but toward the same ultimate goal. So in Deuteronomy 31.7, Moses says to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord has sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Men of our generation, be strong. Be courageous in the face of the Canaanites of our time. There is a promised land that God has called us to inherit. It is the land of the mature Christian life. He wants us to take it. He does not expect us to fight the battles on our own, but He will fight them for us if we will only walk by faith into that land and start swinging our swords. God would have us to lead our homes in devotion to Him. God would have us to live out our days consecrated to Him. God would have us to be filled with His Spirit and the fruits thereof. God would have His churches to be lights upon the hills of life, which men might look to when their souls grow weary of the darkness of sin, and but reach toward our example and ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the leadership men of this generation are called to. Eli cannot see it. Moses cannot do it. So I ask you this. Are you willing to be a leader for the Lord in this generation? Thank you for listening today. It is my sincere prayer that God will use this teaching to help you grow in Him. If you have any questions or comments regarding today's episode, you can write me at rightlydividedpodcast at gmail.com. If you were edified by what you heard, please keep me in your prayers. Your prayer is invaluable, and I thank you for it. Also, don't forget 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You are personally responsible to study the word of God. That wraps it up for today. So until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.